So we have been talking uh, at length about end times, and we're going to keep rolling with this. Uh, before I even get into the scripture today, we started with uh, what will the end days be like? The days like Lot and Noah. And we talked about is there a rapture and what would that look like? The timing of the rapture. A pre-tribulation rapture, I believe. We, we talked about uh, all kinds of things like that. We even talked last week about the tribulation. And today is going to be another tough subject. We're going to be focusing in on the Antichrist. Uh, the next time I preach, we're going to be talking about the Battle of Armageddon. And leading all the way into the millennial reign of Christ and what that's going to look like. Before we end this series, we're going to be talking about the judgment seats of Christ. We're going to be talking about heaven. And we're going to be talking about hell. How many is enjoying hearing about the end times? And, uh, and we, want you to, we want you to like the, this and share this. Hey, all right, I got it. I'm just a social media guru now. Like it and share it. Amen? Poke your neighbor say, like it and share it. Yes, amen. Like it and share it. Praise God. So today's title, the message is simply this. What will the Antichrist be like? What will the Antichrist be like? Everybody just say that. What will the Antichrist be like? You've probably heard that before, and I've done some extensive study. Now listen, I could probably preach for six, seven weeks on just the Antichrist. So I'm just going to hit the highlights of what kind of person this is going to be. Uh, that's going to arise following uh, the rapture, I believe. And we're going to start in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. And, of course, it will be on the overhead, or not the overhead, sorry. It will be on the screen. I get, my, my staff makes fun of me every staff meeting. Pastor, we haven't used transparencies and overheads in 20 years. Quit calling it the overhead. Sorry, screen. Does that feel better? Is everybody feeling better now? Praise God. Amen. Put it on the screen. Praise the Lord. You'll stand for the reading of God's Word. It's good. Hey, look, if you can't laugh at yourself and be heckled, then you've got problems. Just laugh. Amen. Just poke your neighbor and say, just laugh at yourself. It's all right. Amen. You're going to bring them joy one way or the other, so you might as well laugh with them and enjoy it too. Amen. Praise God. Amen. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. And here's what I'd like for you to do in the back. Leave this up on the screen until we get to the next scripture because I'm going to be hitting these five underlines uh, in the first part of the message. So just leave this up, if you will. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple, showing himself that he is God. This passage is written about the Antichrist here. And uh, let's pray. We'll leave this on the screen for you to look at as I go through some of the underlines. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence today, that you do change everything. And we're about to see these wonderful men and women be baptized in waters of public confession of their faith, knowing that you have changed their life through the blood of Jesus Christ. I ask you, Father God, to speak through me today, and it's not a great subject to talk about, but it's one that we need to understand and know so we can share the gospel as many people as we can to spare them from this awful man who's going to run this world one day. God, I pray you speak to us, speak through me, not one word of my own, but every word from the throne of God into the hearts of everyone. In Jesus' name, 
God, I pray, let this seed fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. High five somebody if they're willing as you're being seated. There are five traits of the Antichrist that are revealed in these two verses that perfectly portray and teach us his character. The first underline you'll see that he is called the man of sin. The Antichrist is the man of sin. The word sin here is actually better translated lawlessness. So he is a man of lawlessness. Not lawlessness as far as laws in the natural realm, but lawlessness against the word of God. The man of lawlessness, the man who will be the very embodiment of lawlessness and total and complete and utter rebellion against God. There has never been a person in the history of mankind that has been the very embodiment of lawlessness and sin like he will. He will do all that he can to lead a total and complete and utter revolt against God. He will do all he can to lead every person to revolt against God. He is, for lack of a better term, the ideal sinner. If you could look up in the dictionary, what's the ideal sinner look like? It is the Antichrist. He is the man who fulfills the dreams, listen, of Satan on this earth. He will be the person that will fulfill for a short time the dreams of Satan that he has for this earth. To get an idea of how evil the Antichrist is, I want you to think about some of the most evil men in history. Uh, Joseph Stalin, who killed 17 million of his own Russian people and on his deathbed shook his fist at God. No doubt where that man is right now. People like Hitler that killed 6 million Jews and wound up killing himself before he could be killed. I'm talking about some of the worst mass murderers in the history of mankind. You think about all them, they don't hold a candle to this guy. They're, they look like they look like a choir boy compared to what he is. So I have a question for you today. Does your life line up with Jesus Christ or the man of lawlessness? Because every time that you willfully practice and walk in a lifestyle of deliberate sin, you are aligning yourself with the spirit of Antichrist, not Jesus Christ. Secondly, you'll see on the Underline on the screen, not the overhead. You'll be proud of me. Thank you. Amen. Come on, give me a golf clap. I said screen, not... Yes, amen. The Antichrist is the son of perdition. What does perdition mean? It means doom and destruction. It means lost. It means waste. It means perishing. He won't last forever, folks. The, the Antichrist days are numbered. Somebody say amen to that. He is the son of the most violent doom and destruction. He is the son of the most violent evil imaginable. He will be, according to Revelation 13, energized by Satan himself. This is one bad dude. If you practice a lifestyle of willful sin against God, you could be also called 
a son of perdition. Because what sin brings, deliberate sin brings in our lives is exactly what it's going to bring to the Antichrist. And that is loss, that is waste, that is doom, that is destruction, and that is uh, 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 perishing. So let me ask you this. Do you feel like that is what your life is like now? It could be because you've aligned yourself with the spirit of Antichrist. I want you to look at sin in a different way. When you take on the character traits of the Antichrist, you are aligning yourself in the eyes of God with the Antichrist. Thirdly, the Antichrist is opposed to all that is called God. Everybody say opposed. He will be the opponent of Christ, and that is the very meaning of his name. This describes the Antichrist's total and complete and utter arrogance. He will oppose Christ in everything that Christ stands for. So if Jesus Christ stands for love, the Antichrist stands for hate. Jesus Christ stands for mercy. The Antichrist stands for mercilessness and hard-heartedness and going to know, show no mercy. If Jesus Christ stands for peace, the Antichrist will give you anxiety. Jesus Christ will give you joy. The Antichrist will give you depression. He is the opposite in every way of what Jesus is. If you know who Jesus is based on the word, all you got to do is look at the anonym of that word, and that's what the Antichrist is. So I'm going to ask you a question. Are you willing? Are you walking, rather, in the immorality? Are you walking in selfishness? Are you walking in pride? When you're tempted to not forgive somebody and hate them, you are aligning yourself with the spirit of Antichrist. When you allow yourself to be filled with anxiety and worry and fear and not give it to God so that you can be delivered from that, you are willfully aligning yourself with the spirit of Antichrist. Does anybody still want to hear the word of God today? It's a challenge to all of us. Fourthly, the Antichrist is the exalter of himself. He lifts himself above all others, but the idea is against all others in a hostile and an antagonistic way. Everyone will either subject themselves to him or else suffer severe consequences. Why? Because he is totally and completely self-centered, power-hungry, fame-crazed, authoritarian, dictatorial, without values, immoral, and unjust. There's not a shred of anything good in this man. There's not a shred of anything decent in this man. He is complete and utter evil. Am I painting a picture here? That's what the scripture says. So are you attempting to walk and live in any of these traits? Because if you are, if you're attempting to walk in a way where you want to be power hungry or fame crazed or any of these things, you are unknowingly possibly aligning yourself with the spirit of Antichrist. And finally, fifthly, the Antichrist claims to be God, showing himself that he is God. He doesn't just attack authority and all religions. He attacks anything that is called God or anything else other than himself that is worship. Anyone that opposes God's word and refuses to repent takes on the spirit of Antichrist. And here's the dangerous place. Just as the Antichrist calls himself God and says, I'm the God of this world, when we refuse to repent, when we refuse to give our lives to Jesus Christ and say, I've done wrong, I repent, I give myself to you, Lord Jesus, even if you're saved, I, I, you, that one thing that the Holy Spirit is working on, when you refuse to repent, what you're doing is taking on the spirit of Antichrist and saying, just like Antichrist, I'm the God of my life. 
And I just want to ask a question, Dr. Phil style. For anybody that wants to be or is acting like they're the God of their own lives, how's that working out for you? Because I don't know about you, but when I surrender myself to Christ and He is the Lord and God of my life, guess what? He's now in charge of my life. He's in charge of protecting me. He's in charge of leading me. He's in charge of giving me favor, of helping me in everything that I ever struggle with. He's in charge of every problem I face that he'll help me with. When I get my ties, he's in charge of my bills and my finances. I don't know about you, but I like Jesus being the God of my life. Somebody say amen. Yes. So this is the character of the Antichrist. It's very easy to understand. He's just the opposite of Jesus. He's pure evil. 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 8, very quickly. And you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It's already happening. The mystery of lawlessness is already out there. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So again, it's not taken away. The Holy Spirit is taken out of the way, steps aside, allows the Antichrist to have his way, and that's how the uh, Antichrist comes to power. So let's go back and talk about the Antichrist now. Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. It says, while I was thinking about the horns, that's ten kingdoms, there before me was another horn, a little one. The little one is a person, we call him the Antichrist, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. The little horn at first does not have a kingdom like the other ten do, but he is human, he has supernatural power, he has supernatural authority on this earth, and he will suddenly rise to power. He will seize control of the ten kings, and they will submit to him. So out of the ten great kings or kingdoms, here comes one little horn, one person, who will rise above them and rule them all. Now when we compare the details of the little horn and the ten kingdom prophecy in Daniel with the Antichrist in Revelation and the book of uh, Revelation by John concerning the Antichrist and those ten kings, you find very clearly they're talking about the same person. They're talking about the Antichrist. As a matter of fact, there are 12 major parallels linking the prophecies of Daniel and John in Revelation and 2 Thessalonians, and they're all very clearly talking about the same person. I'll hit them very quickly. Number one, both become conquerors. And you can see the scripture verses uh, there to the side. I won't list them because I want to kind of get through this. Both will speak blasphemies against God. Both will prevail against the saints for a season. Both will have ten horns or kings under their control. Five, both will arise after the ten kings. Six, both will change the times and laws. Seven, both will rule with ten kings until the Lord returns. Eight, both continue for 42 months or three and a half years. Nine, both have fierce leaders. Ten, both will deceive and perform signs and lying wonders. Eleven, both will be destroyed at the return of the Lord. And twelve, both will be given to the burning flame. So when you read the identification in Daniel 7 and some in chapter 11 of the Antichrist there and the, and the little horn and the ten kingdoms 
uh, uh, 10 King Prophecy, and you go over to Revelation and the book of uh, Revelation with John, and you go to 2 Thessalonians, they are all connecting and talking about the same person, the Antichrist, and his rule during the tribulation. Does everybody see that? So let's go on. Where will the Antichrist come from? I get that question as a pastor. Where do you think he's coming from? Well, Daniel 8 is a little bit of a clue, verse 9. Uh, and I could read the whole chapter, but I'm just going to zero on verse 9. It says, Then from one of the prominent horns came a small horn, speaking of the Antichrist, whose power grew very great. It extended toward the south and the east and toward the glorious land of Israel. Now, if you study all through the book of Daniel and you pull it all together, I'll save you the time and the hours of it. You will find that the Antichrist will come from one of four divisions of the former Grecian Empire. That would be Egypt, Turkey, the Greece-Macedonia area, or the Syria-Babylonian area. So can we narrow down from those four areas where he's going to come from? The answer is yes, we can narrow two down at least for sure. Because in Daniel 11:43, the Bible says that the Antichrist is going to invade into northern Africa and attack and conquer Egypt, Libya, and Ethiopia. Well, if he's coming from the outside and attacking Egypt, Libya, and all that, then the Antichrist cannot come from Egypt. Secondly, in Daniel 11:40, the king of the north will come against them. Now, during this time in prophetic history, the northern king will be Turkey. It'll be one of the strongest Islamic nations in the Middle East. Well, if Turkey wars against the Antichrist, then he comes from the outside and he attacks it, then obviously he's not from Turkey. So you can eliminate Egypt and you can eliminate Turkey. Well, the best choice between the area of Greece or Syria-Babylon from a biblical and historical view is the Syria-Babylonian territory. As a matter of fact, scholars for centuries have observed numerous prophecies indicating a leader from the Assyrian territory and biblical prophecy that links him to Babylon. So if we narrow it down, the best logical choice out of the two is Syria-Babylon. You have the area of modern-day Iraq and Iran. More than likely, the Antichrist is going to arise from one of those areas and in that region of the, of the world. Now, the Antichrist will not be like many men are today, attracted to or enticed by women. Daniel chapter 11, verse 36 through 37. You can read into this whatever you want, but check this out. Daniel 11, 36 through 37, if you'll go to the next scripture for me. Uh, oh, excuse me. Did I miss one? I must have missed one. How did I miss one? Oh, no, I didn't. It's the word. So, all right, there we go. Then the king will do as he pleases, and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will speak monstrous things against the god of God. So, he, again, he's anti-God, anti-everything. He will prosper until the indignation is finished, the seven-year tribulation, for that which is decreed will be done. Verse 37, he will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of women, nor will he show regard for any other god, for he will magnify himself above them all. If you read into biblical prophetic teachers today, they read into the fact that he has no desire for women to say that he's probably going to be homosexual. I don't know. You can read into it what you want. But it would seem to me that the spirit of Antichrist is really out in the world today when it comes to homosexuality. Would somebody say, I agree with that? So whether that's the case or not, I don't know, but he won't be moved by that. So there are three major points that I want to hit about the Antichrist. Point number one is this. The Antichrist will absolutely reconstruct society. I talked a little bit about this last week. Just let me hit this 
quickly this week. When new schemes, new plans, new inventions, he will proceed to reconstruct the patterns of society. We talked about the disaster that will be on the world. The world will have just experienced the shock of missing loved ones and disappearances. We talked about the car crashes. We talked about food shortages. We talked about all that. He's going to rise up, have the solution for the world in his hand. He's going to know what to do. He's going to all of a sudden have all the answers and the whole world's going to look to him because they're going to be panic stricken. He will then get universal acclamation and power and become the supreme dictator of the entire world. He will declare and deceive that the whole world, he will deceive the whole world. People will worship him because of the miracles, signs, and lying wonders. Check out Revelation 13 and 4. It says they worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. If you go to the, yeah, there we go, to the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? He is going to do some miracles and some things on this earth. People are going to fall down. They're going to worship him. They're going to give him their allegiance and say, nobody can wage war with this guy. Little do they know they hadn't read the end of the book. (laughs) Because in two weeks, I'm going to be talking about that. They will rejoice in the greatness of this man, not realizing that Satan is the one empowering him and that he's already lost. They just don't know it yet. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 11 says this. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. So he operates by the power of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Now, let me just stop right there. When you research the word power, this is going to blow your mind because it blew mine. It says the coming of the lawless one is according to the working or the power of Satan with all power. That word power is dunamis. The supernatural power that we attribute that is written about the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he's going to walk in that kind of power. And you better believe he's going to be able to deceive the nations with that kind of power. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them. Everybody say God. God will send them. Everybody say strong delusion. That they should believe the lie. This is kind of like Romans 1 with the reprobate mind. So what does this mean? The word strong is energia. It's a Greek word from where we derive the English word energy. This means that the delusion that is sent to the people on this earth is not mental or doctrinal, but it is one that absolutely involves miraculous events. He will do miracles and the people will be deceived because of it. 1 John 4, 2-3 says this, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. While the Antichrist may not be revealed yet, the spirit of Antichrist is already operating. So anytime that you are tempted and led to live a life contrary to what Jesus lives, anytime you're, you're tempted to not walk in love, you're, not, you're tempted to not walk in peace, you're tempted to not be at peace with other people, you're tempted to gossip about them and slander, you are being tempted and you are being railroaded by the spirit of Antichrist that's trying to get you on his side. 
This stuff affects us now, folks. Now, while the Antichrist won't be revealed till we're gone, his spirit, the spirit of Antichrist is here. So here's what we're going to do. You just got to say no to the Antichrist. Matter of fact, hold your hand up and say, oh, no. I'm not falling for that. Come on, do it again. Just, oh, no. I'm not falling for that. So when you get mad at Sister Sally Sue in the pew three rows over and you want to get on Facebook and run her down, you say, oh, no, I'm not falling for that. Uh -huh. The next time that somebody says, we want you to go out partying and juking and we're going to get drunk and we're going to get high and we're going to sleep around, say, oh, no, I'm not falling for that. The next time that he, the, the devil tries to get you to cheat on your ties or he tries to rob you or something and you want to lie to the boss and this, oh, no, I'm not falling for that. Come on, just hold your hand up and say, oh, no, I'm not falling for that. No, no, y'all got to get some grooving in here now. You, you got to get some attitude behind this. Come on now. And you wives know how to do it, so don't even try me like you don't. I've seen it before. They say, oh, no. I am not falling for that. Yes. Yes. Amen. Are y'all still my friend? The guys are anyways. I better go on. <laughs> 2 Thessalonians 2.12 says this, And so that all will be, watch this, condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Those living on the earth at the time who follow this delusion will be condemned. They'll be damned. Condemned comes from the Greek word krino, which means to be tried judicially, and in this case to be tried and declared guilty by God himself. He says if you fall for the Antichrist, you have condemned yourself, and God judges you guilty and says you're done. Is it okay to still preach the Bible? Does anybody want to hear the truth? This is some serious stuff here. We need to know what the Bible's saying. Revelation 13, 2 says this. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. It's interesting. Satan offered this to Jesus. Jesus said, oh, no. It is written, it is written, it is written. And praise God, he sent him packing. Well, guess what? Satan will have found a willing taker with the Antichrist. What he couldn't get accomplished with Jesus, he will with the Antichrist for a time. So point number two. And this is kind of interesting. The Antichrist will intend to change times and laws. Revelation 13, 1. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The ten horns on the beast mentioned represent a resurrected Roman Empire or a league of ten nations. This will be a grand federation of the leading powers of the world. From this league of nations, the Antichrist will rise to power. Daniel 7, 23, 24. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down, crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from the kingdom. After them, another king will arise different from the earlier ones. He will subdue these three kings. It will be an organization kind of like the EU, kind of like the United Nations. They're a forerunner to this. He will have a league of the greatest powers of the world under his thumb and will control the entire world. 
Daniel 7.25 says he will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hand for a time, times, and a half time. That's 42 months. Notice that he will try to intend to change the times. The word times here alludes to the calendar or the changing of the year. And this absolutely could be accomplished when an Islamic leader would change the Gregorian calendar or the Western calendar we have now to an Islamic calendar. This is a clue that is a very strong possibility if you study prophetic word and you go through the end times. There's a very strong possibility that Antichrist will be of the Islam religion. As a matter of fact, Revelation 20 and 4 says that people are beheaded at the end times because they worship God and they won't, uh, uh, certain people won't reject God. Beheading is a common Islam or Muslim practice to this day. Over and over and over you find that the Bible is alluding to that he's going to come out of the Islam religion and be Muslim. And what do you see the Muslims doing around the world? Killing Christians taking over by threat, murdering people. It's the spirit of Antichrist. Not saying that he is. I'm just saying it lines up and looks like it. Any world dictator that would be a devout Muslim would absolutely want to change the calendar to fit Islam calendar. Why would they do that? The answer is simple. Because there are certain events and fast days in Islamic history that they would want to be honored and celebrated like Ramadan and other ones, and they would make that the highlight of the calendar versus now, if you look at the calendar today, what are the holidays highlighted by mostly? Christmas, and it's centered about who? Jesus. Easter, and it's centered about who? Jesus. Thanksgiving, and who was that centered about? Really, Jesus Christ and giving. So our calendar is based on Christ. If you get a world Muslim leader, guess what? They're going to want it centered around their religion, and they'll change the times and the calendars they'll attend to, intend to. As a matter of fact, Daniel 7.25 says the Antichrist will intend to change laws. And the Aramaic word here is doth, which is in, in this context alludes to the changing of religious laws. And it's very simple and easy to understand. If you have a Muslim world leader, he's going to change the law. Just think of Sharia law right now. He would change the laws and say no longer are these laws. And now these laws are based on Islamic faith. And what does the Quran say? If you don't convert to my God, I kill you. You're an infidel. You die. Well, you get a world leader who runs the whole world in that mentality. How easy would it be for him to behead anybody who doesn't bear allegiance to that? I'm not saying that he is. I'm just saying it sure lines up and it looks like it's heading that way. Now, where there's a new religion and a new doctrine, there's got to be a false prophet to proclaim him. And we call him the false prophet. He will be determined that the whole world will have one religion and it will be very simple. There will only be two parts to it. So listen and listen closely. The doctrines will be simple. And that is this. The authority of the Antichrist has got to be acknowledged in worship. And the religion of the prophet will become the rule. Period. Or you die. The Bible tells us the false prophet will speak as a dragon. The word dragon in the book of Revelation means the devil. So he will be under the influence of the devil. Look at Revelation 13. 11 through 14. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb. But it spoke like a dragon, the devil. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants. Look, watch this. And made. Everybody say made. 
made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on the behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. An image will be prepared and all the people will be gathered together to the dedication of this image. In Revelation 13, 15, the second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. So when this happens, people will fall down. They will worship some because they believe the signs and wonders, others because they don't want their head cut off, and they will give their allegiance to the Antichrist. And that leads me to point number three. We talked a little bit about this, and I'm going to tell you why you don't want this here. And number three, the Antichrist will force people to take his mark. The Antichrist mark, we call it the mark of the beast. In order to enforce the worship of the Antichrist, all the people will be commanded to display a mark on their forehead or their right hand, the palms of their hands. It'll be an open vow. Listen, it won't be anything sinister. I have had people say, hey, do you think the vaccine today is the mark of the beast? No, I do not, because the mark of the beast is a swearing of allegiance to the Antichrist. It means I'm on his side, I'm on his team, and it's a visible mark on the right palm or on the forehead. No one will be able to buy or sell until they have the mark. Refusal to accept the mark of the Antichrist immediately brings down his vengeance upon them and wrath on them. Look at the next two verses as we go through Revelation. Revelation 13, 16, and 17. He required everyone. Everybody say everyone. Watch this. Small and great, rich and poor, free and slave. To be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark. Which is either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. <laughs> let, the, let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast. For it is the number of man. His number is 666. All those who receive. Listen very, very carefully. I really believe with all my heart after two decades of studying this that we're in a pre-tribulation rapture, so we're out of here before the Antichrist is revealed. But should you still be here? Should you decide to wander away from Christ? Should you decide not to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? When we're gone and this happens, do not ever take the mark of the beast. Why? Because if you do, there's no chance of repentance. There's no chance of recovery. There is no chance you are banished to hell forever. Revelation 14, 9 through 11. Then a third angel followed him shouting, Anyone who worships the beast and his statue, or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand, must drink the wine of God's anger. Stop right there. That does not sound fun to me. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath. And they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. Folks, that's the burning lake of fire. That's hell. And they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. 
I plead with you to hear me now. If you do not want to accept Jesus, that's your choice. But when the rapture happens and you're left and you are given an ultimatum, please remember what I'm saying here. Anyone who ever accepts this mark, you will burn in hell forever. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just trying to preach the Bible. Is this okay to preach the Bible still? I know there's a lot of churches that they don't want this anymore. People don't want to hear it. Folks, I am concerned about people's souls. This is a death warrant for eternity. There will be no chance for repentance. Here's the best way to deal with this. You ready? Give your life to Jesus and live for him now. Let's just get out of here before all this happens. Somebody say amen. amen. How many would it be? Yes, praise God. That's what I'm living for. Think about it. I hear people say, well, I can repent then. I'll just, I can make it. Listen, if you can't make it now, how in the world do you think you'll ever make it with all this stuff going on? You go to the grocery store to get your groceries, and the man says, well, I don't see your mark on the forehead. Can I see your right palm? You pull your right palm out, and he says, well, I don't see a mark there. He says, I'm sorry, I can't sell you groceries. What do you mean you can't sell me groceries? Well, my emperor... You don't have my emperor's stamp on your forehead or your hand. And if he finds out I took your money and sold you groceries, it's the death of me. So you're out. I'm sorry. But my baby needs the milk. I'm sorry. Your baby's going to starve to death because I ain't getting involved in that. Or perhaps your little baby gets sick. And the doctors have the medicine to help you. And you take that baby to the emergency room. And you say, please save my baby. Save my baby. And the doctors look and they say, well, I don't, I don't see a mark on the forehead. And I don't see a mark on the hand. I'm so sorry, but we can't serve you. What do you mean you can't serve me? My baby's going to die. Well, now listen, we can save your baby. But we need to get you signed up first. So you just follow me back in this back room. And, and we're going to get you to make an allegiance to the emperor. When you do, we're going to take care of your baby. That's how it'll work, folks. And you think you have the strength to look that in the eye and say, no, I'm going to let my baby die before I go to hell? I was in a Bible class, and I need you to hear, hear me very closely as I close this message. I was in a Bible class. And it was my theology teacher at Lee. And it was a night class, once a week, six to nine at class. And, you know, he was talking. We're all drifting off. And he says, just out of the blue, he says, how many of you would die for Jesus? Well, you know, everybody's kind of like, well, uh, you know, about a quarter of the people raised their hand. At the time, I wasn't all the way in Christianity. So I was like, well, I don't think I'm going to raise my hand because I don't know if I would or not. He watched the hands go up. He looked, put them down, and here's what he said. He shocked us. He said, well, he said, I don't mean to be rude. He said, I don't mean to, to make you uncomfortable. I, I don't mean to even create anger in you, but he said, I, I don't believe any of you would. Man, all of a sudden, square, shoulders are squaring back. What do you mean I wouldn't die for my Jesus? You, who do you think you are kind of a thing? He kind of smiled. He said, I can see the look on your face. He said, there are people right now that are dying for Jesus in Africa, the Middle East, China. They're giving their lives to Christ. We said, yeah, we know. I mean, by this point, I'm almost on the side. I'm going to die for Christ because I'm like, what are you telling me? I'm not going to do something. He says, well, 
He said they're paying the maximum price for what God has called them to do. He said you're here in a Christian university with professors who pray for you, with parents who sent you here, and you've got the world by the tail. You're in something simple as college. There is no persecution, and you're not paying the maximum price for what God has called you to do to get yourself studied to make straight A's. And if you can't even make straight A's and give your best in college in a Christian school where we pray for you and cater to you, what makes you think you'd ever die for Jesus? I thought, I'm glad I didn't raise my hand. <laughs> but I tell you what, it stuck with me. I have a question for you. If you can't give God your maximum best now, if you can't live for him now with everything in you, with a church full of people and the Holy Spirit helping you, what in the world makes you think you could with all this terror of tribulation and antichrist and the Holy Spirit stepping out of the way? What would make you think you could somehow survive this if you can't even live for him now with people praying for you and interceding for you and filled with the Holy Spirit? If you can't give God your very best in what he's called you to do now, what in the world makes any of us think that we could oppose the Antichrist and be willing to have our head chopped off? Say, Pastor, I don't, I don't really like this kind of preaching. Well, it is in times and it is Bible. Pastor, you're scaring me. You don't have to be scared. All you got to do is give your life to Jesus and we don't face all this stuff. I really believe that. Pastor, are you you're mad at us? I'm not mad at anybody. My Lord, it's the opposite. I love you, and I'm trying to, for my own self, I want to make sure I'm staying in line. I don't want to live in this. Does anybody think the rapture's sounding better now? Is anybody like, I think I'd rather just go, you know, like, you know, like Forrest Gump, right? I'm not a very small man, but I think I like to go in the rapture and not be here during the tribulation. Somebody say amen. I've got a question for you, and I've got a sincere question. Are you paying the maximum price? Are you giving the ultimate sacrifice of your life, who you are, for Christ now? Because if you're not now, you needn't think that you ever will then. This is a real deal, folks. I'd like for you to bow your head and close your eyes, please. And this is for everybody. Starting with me, my family, our staff, our elders, everybody in this church. Before we go to water baptism, here's what I want to do. The Bible says in Romans 12 and 1 and 2, I beseech you, I urge you with everything in me. That word there means he says, I'm pleading with you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, the church. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present, offer your body, yourself, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is, watch this, not your extraordinary service, not, not that goes far and beyond. He says your reasonable service. God said when we lay our lives at the altar and we become a living sacrifice, where we lay down our lives and we pay the ultimate price for what he's called us to do, he says that's just our reasonable service. 
Are you offering God reasonable service? Because God sent Jesus to the cross to die for you. So here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to open this altar up right now, and I'm going to ask everyone who's been touched by this. I want you to search or ask the Holy Spirit right now. Pray. Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me right now? And I want you to be honest with yourself. Are you giving God your best? You say, amen, pastor. I want to be that living sacrifice. My life is a living sacrifice for Jesus to snatch as many people out of hell, to rescue as many souls as possible. I want to be that person. This altar's open right now. I'd like for you to do that. I'd like for you to literally walk yourself down the altar. I'm, I'm going myself.